be a First Timothy this morning, and we are, are picking right up with where Jeremy left off last week, and I see some new faces, and so um, let me just say that we are um, accustomed at Redeemer to walking through a book of the Bible just from beginning to end, and, uh, and so we happen to be in First Timothy this morning. The reason that we do that is because we believe that the whole counsel of Scripture is profitable, that it's valuable. And uh, it's just so easy if you're picking out sections or verses based on uh, just kind of the, the pastors deciding um, that you don't always teach those hard passages. And you would tend to maybe skip over things that we need to hear, but maybe you're just afraid of, of approaching. And so this kind of forces us just to deal with everything in Scripture and to take it seriously. And so... Um, we, y'all saw uh, Jeremy squirm last week with uh, the end of 1 Timothy chapter 2, and uh, you're going to get to see me squirm a little bit this morning as well, um, but it's good. Um, I firmly believe that, that if, if there are parts of Scripture that don't rub us the wrong way, um, then we're not taking it seriously. If we really believe, as the Bible says, that we're sinful and that our minds are darkened and our hearts are darkened, then there should be some things in Bible in the Bible that rub us the wrong way. And so we're going to press into that this morning. And we're going we're gonna to talk about what, what I think is just a, a wonderful issue to talk about, but also it can be difficult. And uh, so that's enough introduction. Let's go ahead and, and uh, get rolling. Um, okay. It is a, man, it is, it is a pleasure um, to, to teach to this group of people because I know that the Lord is working. And that's not the case in every congregation um, all over the world this morning. This congregation, I know that the Lord is working and that there are people here this morning who want to hear the Lord speak, who are hungry for God's word. And um, so let, let, let's read 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're just going to read through about verse uh, 7, and we're going to cover this section where Paul is talking to Timothy about eldership. All right, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage in his own household, how will he care for, the, for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders that he may not fall into, dis, into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So here's the situation. Paul, um, an apostle, he was a planter of churches, and he's writing... T- a letter, a personal letter to Timothy that was meant to be read to the entire church, not Timothy only. Um, and, and Timothy is a, a church leader in Ephesus. He's a pastor and he's entrusted with guarding and teaching and organizing a local body of believers. And uh, there's a problem. The problem is that there are unqualified teachers, people who are deceived and also deceitful, and they are speaking into the lives of Timothy's people. And uh, if we can just begin by pushing in to an honest assessment of our situation, it's a lot like the church in Ephesus. We are looking for someone to speak into our lives. We're looking for people to speak into our lives about our finances, our self-improvement, our business practices, our relationships, our spirituality, 
And that is, if you're a Christian or not, it doesn't matter. We are all looking at TED Talks or podcasts or reading books about self-improvement. And if that's not you, if you're not doing that, maybe you're picking up one-liners off of Facebook and you're just looking for something to latch onto to help you to build the way that you look at life, some kind of a mantra or construct to help you get through. And so it may be that you're trying to salvage life at this point and you just need something to get you going. Or it may be that things are comfortable and you're just trying to improve or get ready to know how to take that next step. But that's essentially why many of us are here this morning is there's something going on in our life and we need help. We need someone to speak into it that we might be able to proceed and move forward. So let's pause for a moment and let's pray um, that we have ears to hear what the Lord might say to us um, this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you that it's relevant, that it speaks, that it's alive. Lord, this morning, would you please speak to our hearts? You are the only one who is capable this morning with your word of speaking to our individual situations. So we ask that you would do that that we would have open ears and open hearts to what you want to say. Amen. Okay. Um, Timothy. He's a pastor. He's required to take care of his people. And it's his job to make sure that whatever messages are out there, whatever false messages, whatever good messages, that he knows what they are. And it's his job to filter those. And it's his job to know what what those messages, um, which messages have the ear of his people because he's got to be someone who can help them to discern the good messages from the bad ones, right? That's his job. And so as the church in Ephesus grows, he can't do that just because of the numbers. Numerically, he can't do that all by himself. As more and more people come to know Christ, the church grows. He is going to want to be involved in the lives of people, of his people, but he can't do that for everybody. And the same is true today. Jeremy's job as pastor of Redeemer, is to know what's going on with his people, to know the messages that are out there, and to help guard against the false ones. Well, as Redeemer grows, he can't know everybody. And so that's what this passage is about. This passage is about installing elders, people who can come along beside the pastor and can help guard and oversee the flock. So um, it would be unrealistic for Jeremy to expect himself to be able to look over everyone all the time as the church grows. And it would be incredibly unrealistic for the church to expect him to do that. All right, any church that expects the pastor to do everything, to know everybody, to be all things to every single person, that pastor is going to burn out. And if he doesn't, he's going to retreat to his office and he's just going to come up on Sundays, he's going to preach a sermon and go home while his flock is left to the wolves during the week, all right? Eldership is about caring for people being involved. And so in this letter, Paul is giving the qualifications for eldership. He's saying, if you're going to have guys who are going to come alongside you, Timothy, and help care for and guard the flock, these are the things that they need to be so that they're qualified to be elders. And, um, and so it, this passage is not at all really about what an elder does. We find that by looking at a lot of New Testament texts to figure out what exactly an elder's responsibilities are. This pastor is about qualification. But there is a clue here, and I just want to talk a real, real quick about the word um, overseer that Paul uses. Overseer, elder, pastor, those three words are all used interchangeably throughout the New Testament to describe this position, this church office. 
And uh, th- that word pastor literally means shepherd. And if we look at First uh, Peter 5, 1 through 3, this is going to make that connection for us super, super clear. This is another um, passage where elders are being addressed, except it's Peter. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock. He's saying, elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That is a beautiful passage because it really paints this picture of someone um, who, is, who is guarding and, and exercising this oversight, looking over the church, but not doing it in a domineering or prideful way. And so that's the, that's the call. The elders would be among, not above, but among the flock and would leave them in this sincere, loving, caring way. Um, there's a ton that you could talk about as far as specifics regarding what elders do. There are whole books written about this, but that's not our job this morning. Um, we're going to stay with this idea of what a candidate for eldership uh, or would look like. All right, when I was 17 years old, I went skydiving. And some of you have done that, and you're thinking, oh, no big deal. Some of you are thinking you're crazy. Um, but at that time, and I don't know if it's still this way today, when you go skydiving or when you went skydiving, you had, to be, you had to be tandem the very first time that you jumped. And so that meant that you had a, an instructor who was literally strapped to you. They had a harness on, you had a harness on, and it was over your, you know, your, your jumpsuit or whatever. And there were literally several points of connection where they were strapped to your back. And when you jumped out of the airplane, the two of you were like this together, going like that. And so in my 17-year-old mind, there was a very important question that I never thought to ask. Because, you know, when you're 17, you think you're invincible. You're not thinking about consequences of life and death. You're just doing stuff. And so there I was just doing stuff, jumping out of airplanes. And so, but I never asked him, have you ever done this before? I mean, he shows up, right? And he says, all right, you're going to pack your parachute like this. And we did that. We packed the parachute, right? And he says, um, you're going you're gonna to jump when I say jump. And you know, it just never occurred to me to ask, does this guy actually know that everything is good to go, that he's done this before, that, that he's checked off all the boxes so that when we jump out of that airplane, I can jump with confidence that, that we're going to be okay, that we're going to land safely. Um, and of course, I'm fine, right? I made it. Here I am today, okay? But it's never crossed my mind. Here's my point. When you, when you enter into church membership, You want to know that the people who are jumping with you, those who are instructing you and guiding you to get safely through life, that they actually know what they're doing. You want to know that the instruction that they heard is really effective in helping you to be the kind of person, make the kind of decisions that you need to make. And that's what this passage is about. It's about elders having already lived under the instruction. And their lives are now living proof, examples that God's instruction works. That what it does is it creates in people the ability, the wisdom to be able to handle life and its brokenness and its messiness and its sinfulness. This is not about choosing the people who are God's elite This is about examples of life that have been refined and worked on by the Lord and that those are the people who can now help to guide other people who are in different places in their walk. And so, 
man, you might say, Paul, I don't like your metaphor. There's not that much at stake, right? We're not jumping out of airplanes here. I come to, I come to here to, to, to Redeemer on Sunday mornings. Um, I come to GC, and I'm along for the ride here. I, you know, I, I'm here because I want friends. You know, I get encouraged when I come. But make no mistake, we are all jumping. There is the potential for every one of us for something to go terribly wrong. And it does not take very much thought to think of something in your own life that has gone terribly wrong or someone close to you. Make no mistake, we can wreck our marriages, all right? That's possible. We can absolutely estrange our children. We can live a life devoid of any real meaning. We can develop an addiction. Worst case scenario, we can suffer the most ultimate sudden stop at the end and meet God and not be prepared for what he might say to us when we die. There are real things on the line. And so again, we're all taking cues, right? We are all trying to figure out how is it that we construct our lives to avoid those disasters, to create the best possible ends for ourselves. Um, We're all doing that. Whether you're surviving or whether you're just planning retirement, whether you're trying to manage a marriage or a, 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 a bad relationship with a kid that you currently have, we are all trying to figure out how do we proceed. So, um, elder qualification. We want to know, is this the kind of person that can help us to lead a life that is what God wants, which is a life of obedience, joy, self-sacrifice, Purposeful suffering, all right? We're all gonna suffer. Everybody's gonna suffer. The question is, is it purposeful or not? So let, let, let's dive in a bit and let's see what, what Paul says about this qualification of elders. Um, he starts out by saying, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer who desires a noble task. When Paul uses this phrase, the saying is trustworthy, um, he, he's saying that what immediately follows after is a popular and agreed upon proverb of that day, all right? Namely, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So here's the point. People just recognized and understood that as someone grew up in the church and they decided, hey, I think I might wanna be an overseer, that they had that desire, that that was a good thing, all right? And we should see it the same way, all right? Um, Obviously, if you want to be an overseer for the right reasons, we'll get to more of that in a minute, but... um, And then he says um, that he desires a noble task. Okay, the task is noble because of what it cost our Lord to to begin building his church. Let's look at Acts 20, 28. This is another message to a different group of elders. And here's what it says. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church. And catch this last part which he obtained with his own blood. All right, I love this. The Christians in Pampa, Texas, the people in this room who are part of Redeemer, we have been bought with a most amazing price, all right? The blood of the Son of God on the cross is what it cost us to know our Lord, to walk in an eternal kind of life and to have the expectation of heaven when we die. That was costly, And so any man who is going to oversee that group of people, God's prize, that is a noble responsibility. That is a good and a weighty responsibility because of what it cost our Lord. 
Paul then goes on to say, therefore. With this word, he's saying that because the task is noble, this is what I require of the man who might fill this position. So it's Spider-Man, right? The first Spider-Man before they did all those crazy sequels. Um, he who has great power has great responsibility, right? Okay. Thank you, Danny. Um, so because the task is so noble, the responsibility is big, and it takes a certain kind of a person to be able to rise to that equation, okay? And so he says that that, um, that he says a prospect, a prospect must be above reproach. Okay, this does not mean perfect, all right? No one is perfect. The Bible is clear on that. You cannot achieve perfection in this life. But when Paul says above reproach, he's talking about the overall reputation of a man, um, how, it, how the church community and how the larger community would view that person. And so it, it, I guess what I'm saying is if we hear, okay, so-and-so is an elder of that church, the response should be, oh, that makes perfect sense. I could see that. The response should not be, oh, wow, that guy cheated on his wife. Or, oh, whoa, that guy cheated me in a business transaction. All right, that should not be the response. And so the overall reputation of the man is what Paul is getting at. And he says that, that, that this person should be above reproach. And now he's going to lead into some, to some specifics about what above reproach means. Uh, the first of those is husband of one wife. Okay, ton of debate about this over the centuries about what this actually means. Um, but... Let's see if, if I can try and just kind of give you all the different views real quickly and tell you where Redeemer lands on this. Um, Paul's point is not that a man has to be married to be an elder, okay? Paul himself was not married, all right? Case closed, all right? Um, he was single. But given that most men do marry, there's a way to be married that makes a man above reproach. And so what's in view here is faithfulness. It's this idea of a one-woman man. And so thank you, George Jones, Dave Hollister, John Legend, all those guys for writing songs called One Woman Man. All right, look those up. They're great. All right, so uh, some commentators believe that polygamy may have been the prohibition here, that what he's getting at is that we're not going to have polygamists be uh, elders. And, you know, some commentators will point out that, that there was polygamy that was actually kind of common in Jewish circles at that time, but really it was uncommon in the church at that time. And so um, we don't personally think that that's what it's about, but obviously polygamy, bad deal, Okay. All right, now here's where it gets sticky, all right, because a lot of people believe very strongly about this one, and, um, well, the idea being that a man is disqualified if he's been divorced, okay, that a man has married and, and that he's uh, divorced his wife and now he has a new wife and that this, this would disqualify him from eldership. It seems to us that reading this passage that all of the qualities that follow are present-day qualities, right? You wouldn't say, um, this guy used to struggle with alcohol, or this guy used to, back in the day, struggle with, with being sober-minded. He, kind of, he kind of flew off the handle a lot. Um, so therefore, he's now not a candidate for eldership. Look, we are all in process, all right? So it also seems to follow that, look, we're not going to hold a guy back from eldership just because he had a failed marriage back in the day. If today he is loving his wife well, faithful to his wife, God has moved, worked, and has re, um, reconstructed some things to where now he's in a healthy position, then yes, he is still a candidate for eldership. Um, I, just, I just don't think it's okay for us to say these sins are the ones that we're going to hold on to and we're going to remember forever, and then these sins over here we're going to forget. Um, so um, th there's another interpretation of this that would say a man cannot be an elder 
if, he, uh, if he's remarried after his first spouse has died. All right, so he's, it, the man's married. Now he has a second uh, spouse dies. Now he has a second wife. And um, we learned in 1 Corinthians, we saw that Paul actually, um, he gave license to people who were widows to remarry. So it doesn't make sense here that he would say, okay, well, now if you're a widow, you can't be uh, an elder. Um, unless he's the one who killed her, and then that's a different issue altogether. But, um, okay, so, <coughs> excuse me. The next thing is sober-minded. And uh, so l- let's talk about that. Sober-minded is the man who is balanced and thoughtful in their assessment of situations. This is a man who doesn't jump to conclusions. He realizes that there are at least two sides to every story and argument. The sober-minded man looks for the reasons lying underneath what people say and do, and he understands that those reasons matter, that motivation, that past history, that past baggage, all of these things that drive our actions and words, that those things are important and they matter. And it's this person who searches for understanding who can be a good elder because they're trying to learn and know the person. They care about people. And it helps them to measure this gracious response. It helps them to see the situation more holistically and be able to guide, give, give people advice, help them navigate tricky situations, and hopefully not make the matter worse, right? We don't want an elder to make things worse, okay? Uh, being self-controlled is next. Self-controlled is Holy Spirit power against the flesh. It is not an ability to keep things together publicly while privately your life is falling apart. The person who is self-controlled, this is a fruit of the Spirit, is the person who in all manner and aspects of life is demonstrating Holy Spirit power to do, say, act in, a, in, in the right ways. And so I, I want to emphasize again that the elders are not God's perfect ones. It's clear from the scriptures that we all sin a lot, if not outwardly, inwardly, pretty much constantly, okay? We don't get to choose when we become a believer. Some of us, we get saved at age five, all right? And the process of sanctification that's becoming more like Christ begins at age five. For some of us, it begins at 25, 55, 95, we don't pick that. The Lord decides when he's going to intervene and how he's gonna start that process and when he starts it. And he decides at what pace and which areas he's going to sanctify us in. That is all God's decision. And so when we say this man is a candidate for eldership, we're not saying, congratulations, you've achieved all of these things because of your religiosity because of your religious discipline. What we're saying is we're saying God has done some really amazing things to make this person resemble Jesus, and we're just recognizing it. We're saying here's the guy who God has been working in. We think he's equipped. He has this desire. He can fill this role, and praise God for preparing this man. That's what eldership is. Paul also says hospitable. Um, that an elder is hospitable. So we've talked a lot about hospitality. Again, there's whole books written on this. Very obviously, it means if you're a hospitable person, you have people into your home, okay? There's more to it than that. The hospitable person is the person who sees that people have a need to be connected. That is a legitimate human need. 
that you have a need to be connected and feel and know that you are a part of a group of people. It's basic. It's fundamental. God made us that way. He wired us that way. And so the elder in any situation, whether it's in his home, whether it's here on Sunday mornings, whether it's over dinner, whether it's over lunch, at the park, wherever there are people together, the elder can see when someone needs to feel connected. And he's the person who's willing to go over. And often it's simply just having a conversation. This person needs to feel connected. That's a legitimate human need. And I'm going to help that person to feel that way. It might be showing them where the bathroom is. It might be talking about work or sports or whatever. But the elder knows this person needs to feel connected. And he's welcoming and inviting people into this church body. <clears throat> Okay, at some point, I've got to address an issue that I know is, is on many of your minds. And this is, I referenced this, this is where you're going to get to see me squirm. Um, the, the question that probably some of you have asked already is whether or not eldership is a position that is, according to God's design, open to women. And uh, if you've been around many different kinds of churches for very long in your lifetime, you've probably seen women hold positions of Elders. In fact, I, I know at least two right now um, who are either family friends or personal friends who are elders in their church. <clears throat> it is our belief, however, that at Rede- is our belief at Redeemer that eldership is a position that is reserved for men, and it has nothing to do with capability. It has nothing to do with um, intelligence. It has nothing to do with 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 women being inferior inferior in any way. It's simply that. God has established roles based on gender. And we saw that last week um, when when Paul talks about not allowing someone to exercise, a a woman to exercise authority over a man because a man was created first. And and so an elder obviously is someone who exercises oversight. They're overlooking the entire body, men and women. And they're overlooking through teaching. They're teaching the entire body Um, men and women. And in rare cases, they're having to do uh, church discipline, which may very well be with a man. And so because of those things, because God created man first, and then the woman, man has the responsibility, is tasked with this role of leading. And so I, I understand that Christian or not this morning, um, that that's, that that could be difficult to swallow. Um, but look, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not because men have just traditionally held these power roles and boys rule and girls drool, okay? That's not what we're talking about. Um, because if we're honest, we can look at every single society throughout the ages, every single organization, every single culture, and we can find instances of male abuse of power, all right? It is a product of the fall. It's what sinful men do. And if, if you want to get right down to it, feminism, you know, a 60s movement that we're still feeling today, feminism, is the response against that. Because, look, women have said, look, we're not idiots. We see how you're abusing power, how you are nullifying contributions, how you are... Um, how, how you are objectifying women, and we're not going to have it. We're not doing it. And so because of the way culture and society has changed, women have been able to wrestle more power, and they've been able to change things. 
All right, but let me ask you this. If I build a car and I completely ignore the manual and the car does not start, it's not because the manual was wrong. It's because I did it wrong, right? And so the, the woman is, is perfectly right in standing next to that man and saying, you built the car wrong. You're doing it wrong. Please follow the manual. They are rightfully angry that what was constructed was off and it was wrong. But the woman does not, and nobody has the right to rewrite the manual or to say the designer was wrong. And so um, we've got to get back to the manual, and we have to trust. That's, our, that's, that's really the question. Do we trust that God's design, which we have obviously lost, do we trust that God's design is actually good? And that is a difficult step to take. It's hard because there are women in this room who have suffered immensely under male abuse of power. And whether that was in the home or whether that was in the church, and everything in you wants to rail against this, and that is absolutely understandable. You are right to be angry. And yet, is it possible that if men could become the kind of servant, caring, servant-hearted, caring, attentive, listening men that they were designed to be, that women, that that, that would be something that you could get behind? That is God's intent. That is God's desire. We don't get to throw out the manual. And so I guess what I'm asking is this. Men, right now, how are we doing in following the manual? Are we domineering in church? Are we domineering at home? And the other side of this is passivity, because I see this too. Um, some men, it's not that they're domineering, they're passive. They completely just kind of step away from responsibility. And here's what happens. The woman says, you know, whether it's in a church or whether it's in a home, the woman says, I've got to step in because things are falling apart. My man is playing video games or my man is watching TV. My man is doing this and doing this and doing this. He's not fulfilling his role. And so now the woman has to step in and they are the ones who are holding things together. And some of you are doing that. And some of you had moms who did that. Who, the, the mom was the one who had to keep everything together because the dad was checked out. And that's the other side of this coin. And it's also wrong. Man, if we are following the manual, we are taking our responsibility, responsibility seriously and we are leading in a caring and loving way. And I know this passage is about eldership. And so that's true in churches. We see this in churches where men have just stepped out Women have said, we've got to hold this together. So they are the ones who have stepped forward. Um, but it's also true in our homes. And so um, l- let me hit on a couple other quick things, and then we're, we're going to wrap up. Paul says that, a, that a, an elder should be able to teach. <clears throat> the head pastor is going to need help in this area as well. The fact is, is he can't do it 52 Sundays a year. That's true for our pastor. It's true for any pastor. Um, Preaching week in, week out is a weighty, exhausting thing. And so, um, you know, and a lot of churches, ours included, occasionally we have other studies that happen, you know, whether it's on Saturdays or, or Monday evenings. And the pastor can't be expected to do all of that all the time. And so it only makes sense, and I love God's design here, that there are other men who are, available and capable that can teach who can step up and be able to carry that load. The next thing is Paul says that that a candidate for eldership is not a drunkard. This is pretty plain. 
we have all probably seen the effects of alcoholism, and there's no place for it in the church. Um, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. The candidate for eldership is safe and approachable and is not easily pulled into a debate or fight. A great example of this, I think, is, is my father-in-law. He, uh, he, he's a lawyer here in town, but he, he also he has some cattle that, that he ranches. And one of the things that he is very, very big about is about approaching the cattle kindly. And even when you're, when you're just talking, when you're trying to get him to do something, he does, some, he does so gently unless he, he has to be forceful. And so he, he does this because he believes that if, that if you create an environment where the, the, the cattle feel safe, that they're more likely to do what you want them to do and they're more likely to comply, all right? So, you know, obviously, um, if you are a person who is safe, approachable, kind-hearted, and not domineering and forceful, that people will be more likely to come to you, all right? And they will seek guidance and they will respond when you have something to say to them. Um, not a lover of money. All right, all of us love something. And if it's not God, it's, let's just be frank, it's usually money. For most Christians, I think this is a constant battle back and forth where we're trying to, to focus our attention on, on God and direct it away from, what, from money and what money can do for us. But the candidate for eldership has kingdom priorities, and this is what, he, this is what I mean. He understands that every single thing that we have all of that's been given to us has actually been given to us by God, and it's for his purposes. And so, therefore, he's generous, and he uses his resources to help fellow believers in need, to support the overall mission of the church, and to build up his community. The next thing is he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for someone does not know how to manage his own household how will he care for God's church? I think it's possible for us to miss the connection here between being um, a good father and being an elder. And if that's happening, I think probably it's because we have traditionally seen eldership as kind of this board of directors that you've got these guys who sit in a room and they're making these strategic decisions. You know, they're making decisions about finances, about public relations, about, you know, overall culture of the church, and they're not actually with people. But if you have a man who is in his home and he is patiently walking through the ups and downs of life with his kids, if he's able to handle those really tough situations where sin is just rampant, and if you've got kids, you know that sin is rampant. If he's able to handle that and keep his kids, um, to keep the heart of his kids, even when things are hard and even when there's conflict, if you've got a man who can manage that, then he is someone who can patiently walk with people when life gets messy. And that's the connection here that we have to make. Uh, Paul doesn't say, you know, we, 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 want, we want someone who can manage his money well. He says, we want someone who is not a lover of money. He doesn't say we want someone who can, who can establish an organizational culture. We want someone who is really good at public relations and, and marketing and all of this. He doesn't say that. He says we want an elder who can manage his household because if he's good with his family, he's going to be good with the family of God. Candidate for eldership has fought for and he has won the love and respect of his children. There's, there are so many men in this room who have fought for 
and who have won the love and respect of, the, the, of, of their kids. All right, um, he, may, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. This is, I mean, this is just good sound wisdom. Um, an elder is someone who has frankly just been beat up by life a bit. It's someone who knows that, that life change, that transformational heart change, that that happens through suffering, through difficult circumstances, and that you don't, you don't just suddenly get your life together when you get saved, that transformation is a long process, and that God has to be the one who works that out. And so um, the elder is someone who has who spent some time walking with Jesus, has learned some hard lessons, has been beat up, has learned from mistakes, and realizes, you know what, anything that's good about me is because God has worked it and not because of anything I've done. Okay, uh, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. We know that the world is watching the church. And, and sometimes people outside would like nothing more than to see a church leader fall. We see this all the time. When, um, when a church leader, you know, normally it's someone of a, of a mega church, lets pride get the better of him. He makes a bad decision, does something immoral or illegal and gets caught. And man, the stones start flying, all right? The world loves that. And what ends up happening is not only does he fall into disgrace, but the church also now has to, to, to try and somehow rebuild a reputation where it's a place where people want to land. And so if an elder, even in a small town, we don't have to always talk about big mega churches here. In a small town, if you're an elder and your life is just exposed because everybody sees who you are and what you're doing, they see all your affairs. If an elder makes a, a big mistake, then it reflects on the church at, at large. And so it's very, very important that this man, this candidate for eldership, has not walked down that kind of path, but has a reputation with outsiders that would be admirable. Okay, uh, last thought, and then we're going we're gonna to wrap things up. Some of you know that, I'm, that I really like NBA basketball. And if you didn't know, now you do, all right? And uh, there is a part of me that thinks that if I trained hard enough, all right, that if I, um, if I took some time away from my job and I just, I just play basketball, like, I've got a pretty good jumper, okay? And I can, I can drive to the hole, all right? I can do that. Um, if I worked at this, that I could play D1 ball and eventually I could take it to LeBron and slam it right in his face. And I would love to do that, okay? Um, maybe 20 years ago, and if I had a different body completely, maybe I could have done that, but I don't. So, um, but I love NBA basketball. And so I'm, I'm gonna use basketball for this last um, illustration to make my final point. And we got, I got a video that I wanna show you. And whenever the girls get it up, um, by the way, while they're getting that ready, just wanted to say, um, you know, we had some technical difficulties earlier with the slides, and, and I've done that job before. If you are the person who is doing that job, you never get any credit unless something goes wrong, right? And then everyone's like, what's going on? There's, you know, um, but they faithfully fulfill that position every, so, every week, and so I'm super grateful for that. Um, and they worked feverishly back there to get us back working, and they did a great job. But here's, here's a video. We'll see if it works. If I have to, I'll just explain it, but it's pretty funny to watch.
What was that? All right, we're just we're going to go on. You can see this guy right here. His name is uh, Giannis. He was the league MVP last year. This guy is six eleven, and he is uh, he moves like he's five ten, right? He's built like a brick house, but he's super tall. He is like the perfect bas- basketball specimen, and he's obviously he's really good. All right, he won the MVP. And what he's doing is he's showing a, a, a couple of guys who, who've obviously just kind of been pulled off the, from the sideline. He's going to show them how to do what's called a Euro step. All right, so he's got this guy. This guy, man, he's a total scrub, right? He, he, he acts like he knows something about, about basketball, but he really doesn't. Um, and obviously, he's standing there with the MVP. And so Giannis starts to teach him and show him this move. And he says, all right, if I go this way, which way are you going to go? And the guy says, the, the guy just kind of doesn't respond. He doesn't play along. And, and so what, what I'm struck by in this video is that this guy who knows a little bit about basketball is defending, standing across from the reigning MVP of the most elite basketball league on the planet. And he is just wonderful to even look at. There's our sound. And he's not playing along. He's standing there acting like he's got something that he wants to contribute. Are we going to see it? One last try, and if not, we'll move on. All right, girls, we're going to call it good. Anyway, Giannis says, hey, if I go left, what do you do? And the obvious answer is you go with me, right? Because when you're defending someone, you follow them to the basket. That's what you do to guard them. And the guy doesn't do it because he wants to show him, oh, I could take a charge. And I'm like, oh, my God. Gosh, like this is the reigning MVP. Listen to what he's saying. Like, listen to him. He's trying to teach you something. Don't get snarky, which is what he does. So here's my question. Men, why is it that we, when we are around other dudes who have a proven track record in a certain thing, that we are reluctant to hear what they have to say? Can we just be honest that when we're around other guys that, that have done well at parenting or, 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 or being married or scripture study or whatever it is, that we would almost rather stand on our kind of shaky leg and talk about what we know than listen to what the man is saying or to ask good questions. There is something in us that is reluctant. And so here's what I'm absolutely not saying. I am not saying that your elders are the MVPs. That's not what I mean. I'm not talking about elders anymore. I'm talking about how to grow into these qualities. Because this passage, although it's about elder qualification, these qualities are for everybody. The Bible doesn't say if you want to be an elder, and only if you want to be an elder, then love your wife well. That's a call for all men. And so if you want to grow in these qualities, the way that that happens in part is being in a community where you are rubbing elbows with other men. You are watching them parent. You are watching them read scripture. You are hearing about how they handle their jobs in those tricky situations. And our attitude has to be, what can I learn from this guy? What does this guy have to offer me? Instead of, how can I maintain my very shaky assemblage of self-respect, which is what we do. It's what we do. I feel I, we have to fight against it. 
to be humble and listen to guys who are further along the path than us. And look, you may be further along in the path in one area, and I may be further along the path in the other. We all have things that we can learn from one another, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to enter a time of prayer. The band's going to come up, and they're going to they're gonna play, and I would just ask you to remain seated. And uh, there's a few things that you might think about during that time, and just be reflective and prayerful over. Um, if the Lord is working in your heart this morning, obviously, just, just go with that and, and be prayerful with him this morning. But if you need something to kind of be thinking about, here's a few things. First, pray that Redeemer would be the kind of church that's obedient in elder selection, that we would choose men that would fulfill these qualities, and we would not compromise on that. Second, would you pray that the Lord would raise up men, that he would begin to work men who actually fulfill this role because we need it. Our church is growing. And the messages that are out there that are coming at us, they're not slowing down, all right? They're, they're, they're picking up. And then finally, thirdly, would you just evaluate your own heart? Are you teachable? Are you someone who wants to run into the presence of guys who are farther along than you and obviously women as well. Are you teachable? Do you want to learn what you can from the people who the Lord has placed around you? All right, so take a few moments, band. Y'all come on up. Um, I'm gonna pray and then they're gonna start playing. Lord, as we enter this time of prayer, would you move? <clears throat> Once again, the, the obvious thing is that there are a lot of people in this room and everyone's got their own thing that they're dealing with and the own, their own thing that you want them to hear this morning. Lord, would you work? We are completely 100% dependent on your word and your spirit to make it active in our lives. So would you do that this morning?